Let's go to Ezekiel 37. I had a really nice, you know, anniversary. We haven't even done an installation, so we're doing all this to get. That's why we have two preachers. We got to. Ezekiel 37, if you'd like to stand, you're welcome to. But my anniversary sermon went the wayside of the word of the Lord. Ezekiel 37, verse 15. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the house of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for the house of Israel. Would you pray for me right now that God would help me manage the clock and get everything in I need to get in and sit down when I need to sit down? Please do that right now. Thank you. Let your anointing come. You talk to us individually here, Lord. Not just collectively, but individually, Lord. Please talk to us, Lord. Oh, yes. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to God's people during a time of great division. When the Jews occupied Canaan after their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, God had declared that Judah would be the preeminent tribe. However, because the tribe of Ephraim produced several powerful leaders and because the two most powerful cities of northern Israel, which was Shechem, Shechem and Ephraim, became very powerful. Furthermore, Ephraim used its power to create conflict within the 12 tribes. The wealth, the power, and the arrogance of Ephraim, coupled with the envy and the resentment of the other tribes, resulted in a destructive climate permeated with divisiveness. In the context of this bitter feud, God redirected his children to focus their commonalities, to focus on their commonalities. Anybody who didn't believe that Jesus is Lord? Focus on their commonalities rather than their differences. Jehovah expressed to no uncertain terms that they all needed to knock it off and just become one. Now, if you're under 40, jump up on your feet, turn to someone, give them a high five and say, knock it off, let's just be one. There'd be some lying in the house right now. If you're under 40, jump up on your feet, give someone a high five. You see, the, uh, you're going to get something out of this because you were obedient right there. <laughs> the descendants of Jacob and the youngest son of Joseph was Ephraim. He was highly blessed and became so powerful that a great portion of the land of Israel bore his name. But while the north, northern central part of Israel was named Ephraim, the southern was named Judah. Scholars note that the boundaries of Ephraim contained both Shechem and Shiloh, 
Now, Shechem was the place that Abraham built an altar and blessed God after he promised he would make him the father of many nations and the seed that covered the earth. Even at an old age, Abraham and Sarah were going to bear children and start a blessed family. That all happened there. It was along the central ridge of Israel, which was the major artery for people doing business. So it became a major hub of commerce for all of Israel, a fact that was not lost to Ephraim. Now, while Shechem was known as a powerful city because of its business, Shiloh was known as one of the holiest of cities. All of Israel sojourned to Shiloh to worship, for it was a religious center of their times. Samuel's parents made the long trip to Shiloh to worship when his mother was promised a son, and she committed to give him to the Lord to minister in the temple. So we see that Ephraim had within its borders both the center of commerce and the center of worship, a fact that Ephraim reminded them of so often. It was powerful. On top of this was the fact that Ephraim's grandfather, Jacob, broke all precedent by giving the blessing in inheritance that historically belonged to the eldest son, Manasseh. Instead, he gave it to Ephraim. I'm certain that there was a rub to all of that in Israel itself, even before they reminded or reminded that Shechem and Shiloh were under the control of Ephraim. I'm preaching today on the power of one vision. Now, what was, what was the prophetic word? He says, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take two sticks, write Judah on one stick, and then write Ephraim on the other stick. He said, take the two sticks and bind them together to form one stick out of the two. And as a reward for choosing to unite, God promised he would return to Israel all the benefits of David's kingdom. The power of their oneness reignited their purpose so that they could achieve one victory after another. Ladies and gentlemen, we are all different people from every tribe and nation in the world. I want to stop and tell you that my sweet wife is here and I love her very much. She's just coming out of cancer. Her hair's growing back. I'm just like, yeah. But she's a sanguine and I'm a melancholy. Come on. You know what that means. We're just different. We, we just do things different. And, and you know, we've been married 47 years, going on 48. Well, this is our 48th, and we're happier now than we've ever been, and life is crazy. I mean, we've had people remind me how crazy the year's been, and I go, I guess it has been crazy. But to us, we get up, and we're happy. We smile. We're breathing. I'm standing here. Man, you've, you're, I mean, COVID was a breath away from taking my life. You can't get worse than I did and still live. They, they didn't tell me till I left that you were dying. Everything failed. It's done. I mean, it's over with. And, and, and here I am. I'm just like, wow. I don't, it doesn't take a rocket science to tell you that we had some things we had to work on very early in marriage. I and mean, we had a lot of things we had to work on. And, and the first thing we had to work on is that neither one of us was right. Because there's no such thing as right and wrong in personalities and what you do. It's, you're just different. 
And so we had to get used to being different. And, you know, we were all used to sleeping this way. And I mean, I I just, I I can't get involved in the stories because we'll be here forever. But I mean, the first one was just how we slept. I mean, she she had slept by herself all her life and then she got married and and right away she starts moving over toward me and and I'm a loner, you know, I'm a space soul. You know, I don't want anybody that close space, you know. I'm struggling with this. And, you know, she'd go to sleep and I'd try to go to sleep and she's just there and I'd let her go to sleep and I'd move over just a little bit. A few hours later, you know, know, she'd wake up and there she is again. I'd move over again. And, and I finally get to where I had one leg on the floor. And finally one night, I just got up and got up and went around to the other side. <laughs> I mean, you just, you just got to work on stuff. And in a church, you got to work on stuff. You don't get mad. You don't get discouraged. You don't walk out. You just keep working on your stuff. I mean, we're happy as all get out because we just kept working on stuff. And so, you know, it's imperative that we become one stick with one vision. It's absolutely necessary. Though we have many members in the body, the body is still... You see, we don't need to pray over things in which we agree. That's not unity. That's merely self-worship. Well, Pastor, I'm going to do that because I agree with that. You're just worshiping your own opinions. It doesn't take any humility to be together and join together on things in which you agree. It takes humility when you don't like something, when you don't agree with something, and you go, wow. I don't get that, but I mean, when I got kicked off the platform, Brother Stark, you know, I mean, I had philosophy for that. And I'll tell you what happens when you get older, if you're not careful, is your philosophy becomes science to you. And when your philosophy becomes science, you're too old. You need to let somebody else lead. Because at the end of the day, God doesn't care where I sit in that building. I didn't tell a soul about that going, oh my God, you know, now now the pastor, he was going to let me sit up there forever. And I went, no, 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 he's changing here. We're not going to sit here anymore. So I went down and sat down on the front row. I was going to sit on the second row. And my melancholy nature wanted to sit back in the stadium seating. That's kind of... (laughs) truth of the matter is I go places my wife the same one walked right down the aisle of the front row and I'm going no (laughs) you see there are so many things it's really not life or death we're not talking about X 238 you don't need to pray over things in which you agree that's just self-worship. Unity is when we don't understand or don't agree, yet we stand with the shepherd that God called for his church. So I, I get to say this now because he's pastored for, is it a year now? Is this one year, correct? One year. I couldn't have said it a year ago, 
But now I can say, now that you know him, you know, when I was first pastoring, Brother Stark, a few people says, you know, the Bible says, know them that labor among you. And that meant that they had to know everything about every decision I thought. And, and if they had, I had a couple of them. I was 25. I was 25 years old, started pastoring this church. And, and, and well, I don't know if he can feed me. Well, don't get me started on that one. But now that you know him, he's pastored a year. You know what that means? Now that you know him, it's time to go. You get behind him, push it, go, 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 go. Don't stop, just go. Somebody shout hallelujah right now. I haven't got to talk to him, but I can tell you right now, you got to get into a building program. Oh, man, I wanted to see if anybody was going to go to sleep on me or not. You're already 80% full. You, you got to be, you got to break out at the seams. And I'm telling you, if you'll get one vision, you'll get behind that one vision. Do you think money's a problem with God? You every day ought to get up and pray, God, burn the pastor, burn a vision into the heart of our pastor. Burn that vision in his heart. Number two, ask God to give you the ability to get that vision. When I was an associate pastor, I didn't know I was that good of one. I just was committed. I didn't know until I started pastoring. My wife and I looked at each other and said, man, we need someone just like we were. And they're hard to find. I knew when he was in the podium, everything he needed. I knew when he'd forgot to bring a handkerchief. To this day, I bring two handkerchiefs. You know why? Because I had to have one for my pastor. I still bring two handkerchiefs. I knew when the sound wasn't going well. I mean, and I'm sitting here like, okay, it's my, you know why? Whatever his vision is, I'm going to do it. Let me tell you something right now. I told my home church this just a couple years ago, and it startled them because they know that my uncle, Wayne Mitchell, you know him, he was my mentor. He was my best friend. And this church had never heard because I never told them one time. My wife did not know that I ever disagreed with my pastor. Because why put that in her heart? And as a leader, it was my job to protect her also. There was a, I told the church, I, I, I'm, I'm going to surprise you right now, but there were things that Wayne Mitchell did that I didn't agree with. And they just went, because they were afraid he was turning over the grave right then. Because if you knew him, he was like, he was a general. I said, no, I didn't agree. It, didn't, it wasn't my job to agree or disagree. My job as his assistant was to make sure whatever your vision is, I'm behind you. I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing. And when, when the Lord called me to Columbus, I got on the altar week after week and month after month. And Lord, I've been here, I've been there. This is what I heard. What do you want me to do here? And the Lord started giving me a vision for the church in Columbus. Ask God to give you the ability. You've got to get the vision. If you don't get anything else, get his vision. Listen when he talks. And mostly leaders, and I want to talk to everybody, but mostly leaders right now. If you cannot right now, if you cannot possibly explain your pastor's vision, then you need to start listening more closely. Because when he gets up and says, we need to go this way, we need to go this way, then you ought to be memorizing that. And so you turn around and say, you hear what the pastor said? We need to go this way. We need to go. 
telling you that will turn your world upside down. And then thirdly, pray the humility to make the pastor's vision your vision because when a church really launches is when the people of God make his vision your vision. It becomes part of you. It's not, it's not just, it becomes second nature. It, it, it's, it's not, well, what, what was that? What were we doing? What? No, it's like, oh, I know what that is. I remember in our campaign, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but I remember that I was in a training session for our capital campaign, and we were doing something that we were way above our heads. We couldn't do it. There's no way financially any other way. I could give you the numbers, and you'd fall out of your chairs. But I remember the Lord laid on my heart because we had four or 500 people coming to church, and, and he says, here's what you're going to And I got up to the first training session. And I said, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I said, we're not building this because we need brick and mortar. We're not building it because we need just a new building. We're not building this for this. I said, we're building it for the next 500 of your best friends. Now, that doesn't mean as much to you. But when I say that in Columbus, the entire place gets on their feet. Because they caught the vision of the pastor. And when I say it's for the next 500 people. Today we're unifying. We're binding our sticks together. All of our personalities, our thoughts, our opinions. We're going to bind them together as one. Can I testify a few moments? It should have been the worst day of my life. And it felt like it. Right up front, 16 families left the sanctuary not that many years ago, dragging their friends and some uncommitted people with them. 63 people went to another church while 25 backslid. Had over 85 to 88 people gone. $120,000 worth of tithing was out the door. We were not a wealthy church. I cried tears every day until I was empty. I would drive across town. I was sobbing so hard. I had to pull off the road day after day. I laid in the altar when I didn't think anybody was any close to the building and I was sobbing up on the platform where I sat. A person that was on the edge, not sure which way they were gonna go, cleaned the church. I didn't know they were there, but they snuck in the back door and when the lady walked in, she walked back out, went home and told her husband, says, we're staying here. He says, why? If you'd have heard what I heard, I'm going to tell you that what they're saying is not true. We're staying with the pastor. This was my life. It was my life for a good nine months to a year, every single day. And then I'd walk out in church and smile. Let's have church. I'd get in the car and start crying. I love those people. I loved every one of them that left. I still love them today. It hurt. This tragedy might have created, instead of being the worst, it could have created, and it might have created the best season of my life. I didn't have any tears left. The agony caused by rumors racked me with a pain that felt like an extremely dull knife. There was a time for three months that three, three new rumors would come into the office every day. Just stupid stuff. I've, I've got a list of it all. I can read it to you. I just kept my head up around the church and attempted to lead the church in revival. And 
we were starting a capital campaign. And I remember, you know, here we go. Hadn't started it yet, but I was still hurting. We started a campaign called Imagine. And I was positive, but privately I was in turmoil because of the separation of people I loved and because of unsubstantiated evil accusations. Now, unless you think evil of these folks, the folks that left are better people than most people in our city, with the exception of those that sow discord, and we know that's an abomination. They were friendly people. They were faithful, tithe-paying members of the church. They wouldn't miss a prayer meeting. They were there all the time. They performed kindness to many that were faithful in most things, but the predominant transgression committed by some was that they would never buy into the vision that God gave them their pastor. Never would. Their crime was they refused to buy into the vision that God gave their pastor. They, as many generations of their friends and family before, thought they knew better how we should do church than every single pastor they'd had for over 60 years. I wasn't the first. Our education program in the 80s, I looked at the map, I looked at the church. We had one person that had gone to college, I might add, Purdue. And we had one person. I decided I want every kid to go to school. I want all our children. So we started a t tutoring program. And at the end of the year, if you got on the honor roll one time, you get a ticket to Kings Island. And we, we just did everything to get kids in school. And then we helped them get in college. And, and so we went from one person in the whole church to now 97% of our kids graduate high school. They go to college. I was told by this group that you're just pushing the kids too hard. Some kids aren't made for college. And I just smiled and hugged them and kept going. Our commitment to diversity. I got up and just said, look, racism is a sin. Sorry, racism is a sin. And they got into the whole interracial thing. And I said, well, let's have a little talk about it. Let's see what the Bible says about interracial marriage. That was a good day. I brought all the elders and every leader in the church into my office. I didn't even put them in a boardroom. We went around the table and I said, bring your Bibles and we're going to see what the Bible says. We always, we're so proud that we do things the way the Bible says we should do them. And one come up with unequally yoked together and I went, so, so you're saying that the African-Americans are better than we or that we are better than them? Because if one's not equal... And he just went, ah. And then I finally come down to the man that was raised in the most racist part of our country, coal miner. An elder sat there and he was going through his Bible and he stopped. He's called bashful. He doesn't even, he didn't even raise his hand. And I looked at him, Harold Antle. And I says, tell me what you found in the scripture. And he goes to Acts. He says, when all nations become one blood. Uh, so we'd have we'd had a couple that come in and she was blonde and he was black and I said, Well here's what we're gonna do right now. Am I messing things up here really bad? Okay, just just I don't want to make a mess and then and be here's what we're gonna do. I said, the blonde and the and, and the black has a daughter. It's about this tall. 
she's now a mother in our church. I says, tell me who she should marry, a black or white? And the same person says, well, black, of course. I said, you mean because of the texture of her hair? And he went, oh. I'm just telling you folks, we're all different. And if you don't like diversity, please don't go to heaven. And I got to get moving on this, but the same group that said I shouldn't have education got together. They said it was family, but it was 50 people and, and you know, friends and family. And you know how that goes. And it just stretched out. And I mean, that weekend after I, I just declared it sent and said, by the way, in our family, we're going to have a lily white family and this is never going to happen. Well, let me just tell you, a couple of years ago it happened. Just, just to throw out, just to throw <laughs> That out it happened. I mean, whatever it was, they were against the vision. Whatever it was, the marriage policy. Oh, we shouldn't have a marriage policy. Well, I mean, I had leader's child coming up with nothing from here up hardly. And when the lady bent over to the prayer, I had to turn my head. I said, no more. So we have a marriage policy. We have to, we got to look at the, you know, why do we, why are we holy all year long until we get married? And then we just expose everything. Well, they just don't make gowns anymore. Well, make one yourself. Go get a sheet and staple it or something. We have a qualifying committee because we don't want worldliness on our platform. And I'm not hard. You know me. If you know me, I'm not some hard guy. I'm not from, you know, anyhow. But we do. So you got to qualify before you teach a class or sing. We want to make sure you don't just say, I believe in holiness. We want to make sure you're doing this. They tried to keep their kids from having to ever go through it. See, it's, they're not bad people. They just never would adopt the pastor's vision. And I, my goal was to hold them at arm's length and go ahead and lead the rest of the church. And I did for many years until one day I realized my arm was tired. The week after the last one left our church, our church broke into revival. I couldn't fathom what just happened in that auditorium. I'm standing right there at the end. I'm kind of looking, you know, the residue of revival and the unity. And, and, and it wasn't like we all ran aisles and did flip-flop. I mean, it wasn't, it was just something happened in there that was more powerful. Three different couples came up to me privately, separately, not knowing of the other and said, Pastor, this is important. He says, you know, I'm good friends with them. I said, Yes. But they said, you can't deny that after the last one left, this happened. What did we do differently? Absolutely nothing. The only thing that changed was that we were all committed to and united around one vision. Gone were the days of self-righteous judgmentalism, burning a hole in our worship, stifling progress. After decades of frustration as a pastor, trying to move us forward to expand our facilities because we were way over 80% for a long time. God kept telling me, no, it's not time. And 
I was a little irritated the last time he said that to me. I said, God, don't you know? Like God doesn't know. We're 80% full, and the scholars on church says, if you're 80%, you better. He didn't answer me. He just looked at me. And in the middle of the night, after my first board meeting, after this group, I had to let a couple of them off the board. After that board meeting, early in the morning, I have another time the Lord woke me up. And I was sound asleep, like you're underwater, and I heard the words, it's time. And I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I'm trying to wake up, and he said, it's time. I knew exactly what he meant. Now, this is March, April. People didn't start leaving until July. And he's telling me it's time. I called the person that was going to be in charge of our campaign, and I says, I've told you years ago you were going to do this, but I just got one thing you've got to understand. We're about to have a church split, and we're going to start a campaign. Is that all right with you? Because <laughs> if it's not, we'll do something else. But the Lord spoke last night. I knew he spoke. I'm going to move on because there's so much to this. But we became one that first week. I hadn't slept a good night's sleep for over 33 years without medication. I, I'd slept before I moved to Columbus, and I got to Columbus and couldn't sleep. I, I, I didn't understand. And for some reason, the week after they all left, I ran out of Ambien. And I didn't know it till midnight. It's too late. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm just going to try to act like I'm sleeping. And I laid down. Three hours later, I woke up. I said, whoa, what happened? I said, sweetheart, I just went to sleep. So I laid down and tried it again. And I fell asleep again. I still have that bottle of pills in my nightstand as a memorial because it wasn't a sleep disorder as much as it was a spiritual disorder. The Bible tells us to obey our pastor so that he might do his job with joy. I haven't had a sleeping pill since, not one. We, we, uh, we're celebrating the power of one vision today. Imagine was the name of our capital campaign. Our church year, yearly income doubled in four years uh, since the departure, after the departure of all these good folks. On top of that, the people of the sanctuary gave over $3 million, $1 at a time, no millionaires, no millionaires. Nobody could write that check. That was people. We had over 25 families that dedicated a year's salary in 36 months. They were sold on the vision. I can't tell you how many people went down to zero because they were sold on the vision. And when you get sold on the vision, then God kicks in. Two businessmen that made about sixty dollars to $80,000 a year, young men, by the way. Two, two businessmen just really committed to the capital campaign. One of the, two of the 25 that said, here's a whole year. Man, that's a lot of money. I mean, if you're making 50 a year, you're living three years on a hundred, which is about 33,000 a year. I can't even explain to you if you really want to, all the things you can do to make this happen. They made 62 and 82,000. Before the campaign was finished, they ordered a car and I didn't know it for me. 
So sitting out there right now is a beautiful three-and-a-half-year-old LS460 Lexus, $88,000. Don't deserve it. I, I, I couldn't believe it. But by the time God fin finished blessing them, that car was worth more than their salary. But by the time God finished blessing them, they bought that and handed me the keys. There, you know, we need to stop praying for Pentecost revival and replace it and pray for Pentecostal unity. Because if you have unity, you'll have revival. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. You have unity. You'll have everything else you need. There's no record of the first church praying for revival. They, they just, when the church was unified by one vision, the power of Pentecost and revival was automatic. Revival comes with unity. They merely broke bread, testified, and prayed. And when they did, they turned their world upside down. Revival comes as a direct result of the prayer and the unity of the body of Christ. Revival is automatic when we pray and are loyal to one vision. When we humble ourselves in prayer, we unify, which is revival. Revival is a united church. We will not experience first church revival until we experience first church unity. Stop praying for first church revival until you're willing to submit to first church unity. I don't know why. We're always looking for new ways to grow a church. And, and yet we know in the first church, it wasn't a bunch of methods. It, it was uh, pray and unite. And pray and unite. And pray and unite. You know, the hardest things uh, that we have as a job as a pastor is get people to pray and unite. You know, the hardest job I had as a pastor, number one, was to get me to pray. It's number one, obviously. You know what the second one was? Every day, all day, my whole life was consumed with what can we do to inspire people to come and make our Father's house the house of prayer. And when our church prays, there's no stopping them. And I'm telling you, when you pray and you unite with his vision, there's no stopping this church. Convincing saints to keep their opinions to themselves and unite around a pastor's vision seems to fly in the face of our personal rights. And as Americans, we think we have a right to speak our mind. Well, you have a right to think whatever you want. But if you're a part of the body of Christ, you don't have the right to spill it. Because when you do, you cause discord in the body. I know there's some folks looking at me like, oh, I got you. I've thought this through, and I promise you, it's when the church stops and says, you know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know where, where you're going. He, we haven't had, got to have this talk, so we'll do this maybe tonight or tomorrow. But I, I don't even know the full vision of what he's wanting to do and what he's feeling in his heart. But, I mean, you know, 
um, you've already got rid of hymn books because I can't use that one. <laughs> but, you know, so, yeah, okay, let's say he still had hymn books and he's going to get them. So, you know, I think we're going to do choruses on the, oh, oh, I don't know. You know, and you just go around mumbling about the hymn books. It's a, let me just say to everybody that's over 50 years old right now, we had our day. Let's let them have theirs. I don't care what they sing. I'm going to shout with whatever they sing. They've been shouting with what we sing. Then sings my soul. Come on, shout with the Lord. It's a great song. I'm not against it. But there has to be some grown-ups in the room that says, you know what? We've been singing our songs. Let's let them sing their songs. I challenged our church 35 years ago. We're going to Target 18 to 35. And that's why over 49% of our church is under 40 years old right now. Because we targeted, we went after them. I'm not going for the money, I'm going for the future. I had, I had one preacher got up and he's preaching, gets all the new music, and I just listen and listen and listen. And he loves Elvis. Actually, he was an Elvis impersonator. Yeah. And he's going off about all this new music. And then he starts saying, we need the old songs like, there's going to be a beating in the air. Goodbye, world, goodbye. And I went, those aren't old. That was 60s and 70s when I was a teenager. I mean, you want to get old, you got to go back to G.T. Haywood. Now you're talking. We, you see what happened is the philosophy became science. And if you're a saint here, you're wondering, where in the world are we going? Don't let your philosophy become science because we need to get behind one vision. There's power in one vision. Come on, give somebody a high five. I said, there's a power in one vision. Now, can I give you an example of what happens in our church already? Okay, get on the edge of your seats now. Joe thinks, Joe thinks we ought to have five solos, five not so special specials. Because we need to give everybody a chance to learn how to sing. You should do what I did as a teenager. I took voice lessons. I don't want somebody practicing on my new folks. So Joe thinks we ought to have five solos, not so special, special. While Sam thinks we should have a choir. And then Margie thinks we should just have praise singers. Susie Q wants the church to start at 930. While John wants it at noon. While the Joneses, sorry, Dana. Love you, Dana. Good to see you. While the Joneses want to go back to the glory days of two to three different kinds of services every Sunday. Sassy Sadie, who has been stealing from God for years by not tithing suddenly announces that the Lord has called her to a neighboring church instead of repenting of her sin. Let's get over that nonsense. The Lord doesn't call people to a neighboring church. Think how idiotic that is. See, I'm not passionate. I can say that now. It's just, it's just, it's just, 
Lord's called her to a neighboring job. I hope nobody here is about to leave because sorry about your luck. You got me. She wants to go to a neighboring church instead of repenting of her sin. By the way, the only words God will speak to a person with sin is to repent. He never calls you somewhere else. He just accepts the altar. Now, George, I'll go on. Now, I better go on. Help me go on. Now, George believes it would be a better use of time to knock on doors and have tent meetings while Sarah thinks we should buy a fleet of buses. Mac wants business meetings every quarter with handouts while Jane thinks once a year is way too much. Hank says the sound system's too loud, oops, while Isabel has turned up her hearing aids to max volume. And then Brother John accuses the sound engineer of turning the volume down when his darling daughter is singing a solo. Priscilla says we need to spend more time on the poor while Maxwell wants to save every penny for hard times. Sam wants a committee for every function and others just want to shout and sing. And then you have Mr. Berkshire. He thinks he should have the most say in any matter because he has the most money. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, saints and ain'ts. Everybody has their own hobby stick. Every single person has a mind of their own. We all have opinions that were formulated through the eyes of their personal experience. If you were raised poor or raised in a dysfunctional family, as I was, or abused, as I was, had an angry parent, had divorce, been through a church split, experienced a failed pastorate, Whatever our personal experience is, it dramatically affects our opinions. In pastoring, I don't ever remember showing anger except one time when a very husky man with fingers bigger than mine thought it would be just kind of funny when his wife would go to sleep, stuff the pillow over her face, so she couldn't breathe until she almost died and then pulled it off and thought it was a fun and games. And he, I brought him in the office and set him on the couch across from my desk. And I started talking to him. When I told him about what he was doing, he chuckled. <laughs> now, I'm a little skinny, winning guy. COVID took every ounce of muscle I have away. I couldn't win arm wrestling over a three-month-year-old right now. But I played ball many times a week. I ran basketball four hours a week, played softball Fridays and Saturdays in tournaments, played in three World Series. I was in good shape. And when he cackled, I launched myself over that desk. And in one moment, I was standing. He's sitting down. And I screamed at him. I said, the next time you feel like hitting somebody, call me. Just hit me now. He says, pastor, pastor. I said, don't you pastor me right now. I'm just a man looking at you that I want to whoop your tail right now. <laughs> you see, that came out of my personal experience. Because an older person tried to defile me when I was just five years old. You see, we all bring our personal experiences to the game. And then God says, let's be one. And you know what he does? Because you know that's impossible. Unless he gives you 
a pastor. And then we all take our experiences, lay them at the altar, and say, all right, God, I'm going to follow this man because I know he's anointed of God. Everybody has their own hobby stick. Whatever you've been through, it's your experience. From different backgrounds, different life experiences, what is the cog that makes the work, the whole thing work smoothly? How do we succeed coming from many cultures? We bind our sticks together. Our opinions, our feelings. Now, I know your pastor well enough to know that if you have a thought you want to share, and if you don't just spread it all over the church, and you want to sit down, he'll listen. But when he gets done, you're going to go to the altar and say, okay, God, I gave it to him now, if it's your will. And if it's not, I'm with you, Pastor. You know, I'm not going to finish this today, so I might as well do what I feel like doing. I, the greatest miracle in my life was changing my pastor's mind. And Wayne C. Mitchell was my pastor. He was my best friend and my uncle and my mentor. And when, when I left college and came there as an associate, one of the things I did was music minister. And my wife and I, we got married. In fact, we got married early because, because of this calling. We decided to go ahead and get married. Thank God we did. And uh, I, 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 I went into a story I shouldn't have started, sorry. But we did. And, and so here we are. And in this church, my uncle preached, everybody ought to be doing something. And I like that, except that he took it to the next level, which means everybody ought to have a place in the orchestra. Uh, my aunt was teaching accordion lessons like they were going out of style. We had 12 accordions in our church orchestra, and our building wasn't any bigger than this. It might have been smaller. So they were down here, two rows there, two rows there. We had two drum sets, two basses, guitars, banjos, everybody. And the problem was is hardly anybody knew how to play any of them. And now I'm coming on. I'm going to music conferences. I went to Jackson. I went to all of those and loved it. I mean, I heard you, you, you know, loved it. And, and I come back and, and I got 12 accordions, CFG. And, and, and then they, they, the building was so small and, and they didn't have enough room and they didn't want people going up and down the aisles. We didn't have any room that you had, they had babies. And so they made a rule that you had to change your babies in your accordion case. So now the platform smells pretty bad too. So you don't take them out, that would cause it. I'm just telling, I'm just saying. It was, it was now we had revival, people get the Holy Ghost. And, and I'm sitting right there going, oh God, this smells terrible up here. And how am I ever going to get this choir? And then six months in, my uncle announces, boy, the choir is so good, we're going to make a record. And I says, no, please no. Well, it didn't work with him. We made a record. I don't have a copy of it. You'll never hear it. I can still hear the tenors going flat on only Jesus can satisfy your soul. But that's who he, he was a general. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell the church. I didn't tell a single soul. I did not go to my pastor. He was, by the way, not very approachable. He's this way they were and this way it was. So I didn't, I got down on the altar and I started praying, please God, you got to help me. I mean, 
This is terrible, Lord. It, you know, got guests coming in. It sounds good. By the way, your worship was awesome. Man. Whoa. Mm. No, I'm not just saying that. I mean, it was awesome today. Thank you. And, and, and it was just so bad. And we had, oh, it was terrible. I prayed every day. Lord, please get a hold of my pastor's heart and change his mind, please. Lord, please. Every day. Never told him, never told a soul. A year and a half goes by and I'm praying every day, please change his mind. We'd gone to lunch and we just walked in the building and he said, come on down to my office. And his office was at the long end of the hall. Mine was here. He was just... So I'm walking down and in the middle of the hall, he's pretty quick in his movements. He just went, Whoop. by the way, no subject on the table now. By the way, I want you to get rid of all those crazy accordions. They're not worshiping God, and they, none of them know how to play. I hadn't said a word to anybody. And I looked at him, and I thought, I want to know if this is God or not. So I played devil's advocate. I said, Uncle Wayne, now, now think about this. You know how bad I want this to happen. Think about this. I says, Aunt Gloria has been teaching accordion lessons out the kazoo for 12 years. He said, you let me take care of my own wife. <laughs> he says, in fact, get rid of everything you don't want. Just whatever you want, you keep and just get rid of the whole mess. Okay. He went to his office. I went down to mine. I shut that door. I said, just... <laughs> It took my legs away, and I forgot. But I'm here now, so get ready to catch me in case. If you'll keep it to yourself, and don't go around gabbing about what you don't like, you can go to the Father, and you'll go above a pastor's head if you only go to the Father. But if you dare gossip about it, your prayers won't be answered. I need an instrument. Somebody's got to play me out of this podium. You can be seated just, just a little bit. God never gives a vision to anybody in the church except the pastor. It's not my job anymore to get the vision for the sanctuary in Columbus. It's the pastor's job. I don't care what he's doing. You'll see me behind him pushing. I mean, if I my ideas were what God wanted, he'd have kept me there. But he let me know that my course was finished in pastoring. Time was for me to hand off. And now I get to do something that he's anointed me to do. And it is, come on, Pastor, go, go. I've never gone to him about anything unless he's come to me and asked me. And then I tell him, because that's why I'm there. It's what I'm there for. Second Chronicles, they built the temple. 
they were so united as the trumpeters and singers were come together as they came together as one to make one sound praising and thanking God they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music then the house was filled with the cloud even the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand a minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house unity Jesus said Father and now I am no more in the world but these are in the world and I come to thee Holy Father keep thine own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are and when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place one accord there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting cloven tongues appeared like as a fire sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance the Greek word for accord is homothumabin. Yeah, it's bigger than I am. It's a compound word of two words, meaning to rush along in unison. That's what accord means there. Rush along in unison. The image is almost musical. The notes are sounded which harmonize in the pitch and tone rush along in unison as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master so the Holy Spirit blends us together the lives of members of the church for us to rush along in unison one mind one accord one thought one vision so here we are and I will tell you that one of the greatest beasts of the forest is a musk oxen individually it's not because if if a lion or wild beast comes after the musk oxen, you'll see all of them gather in a circle with their horns out. They lock arms and lock horns and just defy the enemy. Every once in a while, somebody doesn't get the message and they're not in the circle. And the roaring lion sees the one that decides to be independent, not follow the vision. And they are destroyed. Because when they're together, can't mess with them. Can't defeat them. I'm asking us today. Oh, Lord have mercy. As soon as I get done falling, don't worry about it. It's my everyday life now. It's okay. I went, you know, 
success is different. I, I told the church one day, I said, you know, I used to drive by the ballpark and the day of the game to see which way the flag was blowing because I knew that was the field I was going to hit the ball out on. So all day, if it was right field, then I would adjust my feet, bring my right heel back. I'd move closer to the pitcher. I'd get all ready because I'm going to wait for a high and outside pitch and go faster over that wall. And if it's blowing over here, then I got back here in the stance and then, and I, and I would in the car thinking, well, okay, how am I going to do my feet, my arms? Because the wind's blowing my way. And today I go to the ballpark to see how tall the shortstop is. Because <laughs> success is getting it over the shortstop's head. And so right now, success is me not falling. But I'm asking each and every one of you. Cast your opinions, your thoughts, your philosophies on the altar. Our tithing dropped down to 460 some thousand after we lost 3 millionaires and 85 people. But everybody came together as one. And in one year, 116 of that 120,000 came back with new people being baptized. We had a capital campaign. And in that capital campaign, when the people of God got the vision to be able to raise twice what your tithing is as, as a fundraiser is something. To be three times, they call it a miracle. But before we got into our building, they had given $3 million. No millionaires. Today? Oh, yeah. The guy that was making 80, I think he made a half a million last year. The other guy, they think he'll own Toyota in a while. And people have, in our church have been blessed. We don't have more people. But just think of that number, how much that, I don't, I'm not, I'm just telling you these numbers because they don't mean anything. Except we were here with almost the same amount of people. And now we're here. What happened? Because when you can sacrifice to the Lord, I can't tell you how many people went down to zero and didn't have anything left. And today, they're blessed. Someday, the Lord willing, I'm going to come back and put on the screen the pictures of all these wonderful people that the Lord blessed. Some of them are multimillionaires now, and they were just average employees, but they gave to the Lord. We spent $7 million, almost $6 million on our sanctuary. We built the other building. We didn't have that money. That's what happens when you understand the power of one vision. Could you stand just a moment? I'm not going to bring you to the altar. If you feel safe to do this, would you lock arms with somebody next to you and pray that all over this auditorium God make us one as you and your father in heaven was one help us to get the vision of this good pastor and to just run with it until we see Lafayette turned upside down until we see Holy Ghost poured out at Purdue University oh 
God. We can't build too big for what you're going to do. We can't dream too big for what you want to do here, Lord. Come on, pray for one another now. Pray in the Holy Ghost.